Hello and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. Joining me is Chancellor Emily and Captain Corey. Hello, guys. Hey. Hey, Chancellor Emily. It's nice to see you. (laughs) I'm back. And of course, and of course, I am Clint the Q. How are you two doing today? Good, Clint. You're looking really handsome today, I thought. Oh, thanks. You're looking like everything about you is just glowing. <laughs> I love everything that you're doing right now. Just for some reason, right? You don't even know. You don't even know. This one time, Clint said something that it was really mean, and then we oh. had to fight. And oh we're going to have to fight again. Emily, I love the emotion that you're putting out right now. I love all the emotions that you give in this show. What kind of a drunk are you guys? I think I'm like, I'm, I will, I love to talk because I'm usually kind of like a reticent person, but I'm just a talker. I love to talk. Talk, talk, talk. I would say I'm a happy drunk, but sometimes I do feel the urge to like fight someone when I get to the proper level of drunkenness. I feel like I become like a toddler, like something will be really great and then I hate it and then I'm hungry and then I need a nap. Um, so that's charming so no behavioral changes for emily then she gets drunk. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, we have oh, we have fun <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's jump into this week's episode the naked now in this episode a disease is making the enterprise crew act drunk can they escape the orbit of a imploding planet before happy hour ends uh and i think so i so, think they can yes they did <laughs> spoiler <laughs> <laughs> oh man so let's jump into this episode what'd you, what'd you guys think i like this episode i loved it also it i have to say can i share one very special moment first yeah yeah i did some research believe it or not um and i used my university connections i work at a university so that doesn't mean anything um but i looked up one of the first like the first time that star trek appeared in the new york times in 1966 Mm -hmm. and it's this little like uh bit about television and um it's it's basically like a recap of the last episode that we watched do you guys want to hear it it's pretty great sure yeah let's hear it yeah all right Star Trek, which NBC is presenting at 8.30 p.m. on Thursdays this season, makes clear that life in space will probably be more dramatic than on Earth. Oh, I'm sorry. Traumatic, not dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Both are true. Yeah, both are true. A sick teenager who was never acquainted with terrestrial amenities ran amok last night on the Master Patrol ship. The accent was less on the super-duper gadgetry usually associated with travel in the heavens than on astronautical soap opera that suffers from interminable flight drag. It was TV's first psychodrama in orbit. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that this guy, Jack Gould, which is the most 1960s name ever, one, also <laughs> said that it suffered from flight interminable interminable's flight drag one but two it's so funny i thought it was hilarious that he's like this is so dramatic and like over the top and we were like this is not dramatic enough <laughs> give us more drama give us more drama <laughs> there's there's plenty of drama on this episode i think yeah uh i i this is definitely the best one we've watched i really liked it like i watched it in two parts over two days and i couldn't like wait to finish it um it's really good we don't need to like set up the entire like episode. I mean, it's not a very like complex plot, but no, but yeah. but basically what happens is um, the the episode opens with Spock and a red shirt landing on a planet where the the orbit of the planet is decaying. No, 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 no. The the, the planet is like gonna just blow itself up because mm-hmm. it's just getting yeah. too old. They show up on this planet to pick up some scientists before the the planet explodes, and the scientists are all just, like, frozen solid, and they're all, like, caught in really weird acts. Like, one guy is showering with his clothes on, but he's, like, frozen solid, and then some people are, like, trying to shoot each other. So, obviously, like, something really bad happened down here. And what you're referring to is the red shirt takes his glove off of his uh, space suit. I mean, his space uh moo moo <laughs> was a crazy ass suit that they were wearing it's like a very low rent uh bright red hazmat suit 
I, it has like a weird like gold embroidered touch though too. It's kind of nice. Well, when capitalism has been destroyed, you can afford to put those nice touches on things just because. <laughs> hey, hey, Clint, I was thinking. Um, in in like I've only really watched TNG a lot, but in TNG, you never see people in a spacesuit. Like if they sh- go to a planet, it has like some sort of oxygen on the planet. If they go to like a ship, yeah. it's like you know, like just floating around space, they're able to like get the life support up. And I wonder if it was like a cost thing being able to like design cool spacesuits for everybody. I definitely think it was a cost thing. Cause one, you have to like make new suits for everyone. And also you probably have to put more money into the suits as well to th- make them look like, you know, they could survive in space. We do have like the environmental suits that they use, but the only time I ever remember that is in first contact. Do you know what I'm talking about, Corey? Yeah. Yeah. Where they do the spacewalk outside the ship and shoot some Borg. Assimilate uh, this. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also from like a Hollywood standpoint, it's like why you never see anybody wear a motor or a helmet, especially like on a battle scene where they would absolutely have a helmet. They never do so that you can see the actors. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Except um, for the uh, Cardassians. Uh, sometimes they wear helmets. I actually, it's one of the things that drives me absolutely insane about movies is that no one ever has helmets on. And I'm always like, well, you're already dead. <laughs> the Well, one of the things that bugs me, we're just going to go on a complete Star Trek tangent, but it's like, there's no seatbelts. Like even in Shuttlecraft, there's one time where they wear seatbelts. It's the one where Troy, O'Brien and Riker, they like go to a planet and then they get possessed by ghosts basically later in that look, episode. Look, Clint, the, sh- the show is already nerdy enough. We don't need to bring seatbelts into it. I know, right? There's one time too where the, uh, what was it? Robert Picardo, the doctor, the doctor hologram, like they travel back to like, you know, 20th century Earth. And he's like, oh, like seatbelts, like primitive restraint devices. He said they cost more lives than they save. Which I'm like, man, what a great message to put in a TV show for kids. You know, when... that killed somebody. That, <laughs> that line on but, the show. Yeah, that comment killed someone. Someone's like, I don't need a seatbelt. If Wait, the doctor doesn't think I need a seatbelt, why do, why do I have, wear one? Were you the one who told me how seatbelts came to be standard in cars, Clint? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. What What's the story? So the story is that, like, the design for a seatbelt existed before cars did. Um, you know because they had buggies and you know whatever um but cars were originally made without them and um also cars were made completely different than they are now so it was really really dangerous and like if you got in a car crash it was basically fatal and um people were doing studies and trying to be like we need to put seatbelts in we need to make this standard and like republicans and uh the auto industry fought back and the guy that like actually pushed it through and made seatbelt standard was Ralph Nader mm. when he was in Congress. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Good, good old, good old Nader. Yeah. So if you ever think that, you know, politicians and corporations will do the right thing, they won't unless someone like Ralph Nader is driving them nuts about it. What what we're what we're trying to say, everybody, is please wear your seatbelt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wear your seatbelt while your face mask. <laughs> that's actually why we started this podcast is just to encourage people to wear their seatbelts and to show you how badly it turns out in in Star Trek. All right, so back back to the episode. So, man, this I I just want to say like so they're checking out Spock and this other guy in you know the med lab or whatever, and I just think Spock has a great case for like a hostile work environment like uh bones makes a comment about how um his blood is green he's like if you can even call it blood which seems like super racist um but then also spock is like well at least i'm not a human even though he's like part human as well and they remind him of that later on in the episode but but man they really do keep keep going I was going to say later, uh, a nurse uh, sexually harasses Spock. So, yeah, he's mm-hmm. definitely, he's got a good case. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we don't get to it as much, but I feel like there's uh, a pattern 
that emerges in later episodes where like they're about to cap off the episode and they make like a joke at uh spock's expense and they're like okay engage and that sort of thing so watch out for the the vulcan hate coming up here well i will say spock uh i noticed in that scene that spock was in all black and i was like well hello mr sexy rebel And then one of the other vintage Star Trek articles that I found was, like, a profile of Leonard Nimoy, and it started off with, like, it's all about the ears, like, ladies will love the ears, <laughs> and talking about how he's, like, this sex symbol because of Spock, so I guess it worked out for him. Is that what he says, or, like, what the article says, that, like, it's, women just love those ears? It's a little bit of both. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> uh, so they... Uh, they get kind of demobilized after their away mission. Nobody knows that this red shirt has touched this substance down on the planet and his hand gets all itchy and he starts to perspire and he starts acting strange. And they move to uh, a scene where he's hanging out in the, the, the cantina and he's having a meal and Spock oh, yeah. and Sulu, or not, not Spock and Sulu, Sulu and another dude come in and start chatting with them. Um, but I wanted to mention, like, they, they do talk about, like, because wh- when the scene opens, Sulu walks in and he's telling this other person, like, oh, you got to get into fencing. Fencing's so cool. And the um, his buddy's like, you were so into gardening last week and now you're into fencing. So I feel like there's a piece of, like, what we were catching on to where, like, what is this guy's job? Or maybe he's just, like, kind of a renaissance man where he just does a little bit of everything. I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I, I loved how they mentioned Bodney and were like, oh, that's what he did last week. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I I really enjoyed Sulu in this episode. Who do you think would win in a fencing match, Sulu or Picard? Because, you know, Picard also fences as a hobby. Picard fenced against the Sheriff of Nottingham and, and I think killed him <laughs> or whatever. Right. So I, I think absolutely Picard. Although... No way. That was just that was just a little cue like Dungeons and Dragons thing. He was spo- he was totally supposed to beat that guy. That's not good proof that he's a great swordsman. I think it would be Sulu. I think if you're going to do like a demonstration, like an official match, I feel like Picard would be able to like win on like getting points, like Olympic style by the rules fencing. But if it's just about like who has the most heart in the moment, if it's yeah, if it's just like a street fencing match, my money's <laughs> all the way. <laughs> now I can just like imagine in in like the Federation, like that's their biggest problem is like street <laughs> fencing gangs, and they're just like they're not even like hurting each other. You know, they're just like having street fencing matches. Yeah, just you gotta have this regulated. Just making cutting remarks and scratches on each other's <laughs> shirts. The the first years at the academy get drunk and take to the streets with their rapiers. <laughs> Talking about cutting people up, um, in that <laughs> scene where where Sulu and the other guy see that the the man that was down on the planet and is now infected and he's acting all weird, he he gets all emotional when Sulu asks him really basic questions, basically acting drunk. This mm-hmm. this, this thing makes people act drunk. Uh, and the guy uh, suddenly picks up the most dangerous weapon known to man to stab somebody with, the butter knife. He picks up a <laughs> butter knife to threaten them with, and then he tries to commit suicide with a butter knife. It was insane. It he doesn't... was really obviously a butter knife, too. Like, it wasn't even a prop knife. It was a butter knife. Well, it's not like you would, like, eat, you know, your lunch or anything with, like, a cutlass. So I guess it makes sense. I I just wouldn't even think that knife would like cut, penetrate the skin or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd have trouble with butter. <laughs> Did you guys notice too that he had like a card that he put in to like get his dinner or whatever? Yeah, I saw yes. that. I As... love that. I actually looked up um, when floppy disks were invented because uh-huh. those, in this episode, there's also a scene where Kirk's, like, doing work on the bridge, and he has all these different colored things that he's, like, sticking in his little control arm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And according to Google, the floppy disk was invented in 1967. So this would have been, like, cutting-edge shit. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that that was a very Soviet thing, where he takes his food stamp ration and puts it into the computer and gets his meal out. <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. Like, is that his commissary card? Does the Enterprise work on, like... You know, like freshman dorm rules where that like you have, system. You, know, you have to I, like I would, call your mom and like, can I get some more credits? I would like to think that this is like 
the transition period between Enterprise, which is really just, you know, the Jonathan Archer Enterprise, which is very, like, uh, mili- not militaristic, but, but, you know, like, there's metal walls, and there's mm-hmm. few comforts of home, and they have an actual chef that makes food because they can't replicate food. And then in this one, like, yeah, you get your food card, your rations, and then, you know, it's like, it's like being in the Navy, sort of. And then, like, TNG, where it's like, you just live on, like, a golden corral, and you have one in your bedroom, and, like, you're like, I would like a Sunday right now. It's luxury liner. A real chocolate Sunday. Yeah, I've, I was, I've had conversations about this, because in TNG, the replicators, they kind of complain about them a little bit. And then on DS9, they seem like maybe they got better and they taste good. So one thing to mention in that cantina scene is that this guy infects. That's like where he's like uh, patient zero and he infects Zulu and this other guy. And this this thing makes people act drunk and it makes you act like your most, I don't know, how would you describe it? Like your most mainstream personality feature that you hide, like you do when you are drunk? I don't even know. I mean, I just think it's like generally like this is how in the 60s, like, drunk people were portrayed if that makes sense just like being all crazy i don't think it's any sort of like i don't know i i never feel like you know these problems in star trek so far don't have any like rhyme or reason like charlie like what can he do he does all these crazy things and it's not like consistent from part to part but 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 in this episode like everybody was drunk not they, they weren't slurring their speech or anything like that they were acting like manic but they were they were drunk in a different way um, like one person was just super depressed and that's why he was trying to kill himself. And like, they're like, that's his basic personality feature is that he's like at heart, like a very sad person. Uh, Sulu acted like a swashbuckler and he grabbed <laughs> his sword and started chasing people through the corridor, which was definitely the best part of the episode. Some people became like overly empathetic. Spock became super emotional. So like whatever people were repressing, I guess, kind of came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind mm-hmm. of what I took. One person just became very Irish. Apparently that's a personality <laughs> trait. <laughs> I like how he kept singing the same song again and Kirk's just like, make it stop. If anything, just I don't want to hear the song again. That was a very human moment. I loved it. I think I wrote that it seems like going to a party in your teens where like someone is always crying. Someone's always trying to fight. Someone's doing some weird project in the back. Like it felt like, yeah, very, um, very like people being slightly more uninhibited than they normally are and not knowing how to handle it. So they just go over the top. I like that. That's a good analogy. I loved actually the whole episode. I was like, these people are just acting like they're drunk. But then, and I wasn't expecting this, honestly, but like when they figure out the anecdote, Bones says, oh, it it converts something to alcohol. So they're just drunk. Like they literally are drunk. <laughs> Did you get that? Uh, Cause he's like, it's water. I thought it was like some weird, like molecule of water. I thought it like changed the water molecule so that it acted like alcohol in their system was what I got. What did you catch, Corey? I, so I was watching the episode while I was cleaning my house and just, <laughs> and during that last part, I was kind of doing some stuff. But it was kind of funny because one episode, I, one, one moment I saw that Kirk had like, he was just kind of being really sad in his room talking about his ship because he was starting to get drunk too. And oh, then that I, part is great. And, and we'll talk about that. But I, and then I looked away and then I looked back again and his uh, shoulder was torn. Like the, his <laughs> uniform is torn. And I was like, <laughs> how did that happen? And I just thought of all the times in Futurama where like they, you know, Zap Brannigan tears his shoulder to look like kind of roughed up. I was watching it, and I still cannot answer the question of how that happened. <laughs> oh, uh, Bones did oh. it. Ooh. It was so weird. Yeah, like, um, Captain Kirk, it just walks on the bridge, and then uh, Bones just rips his shirt uh, off his shoulder and then gives him a hypo spray to, like, inoculate him. But I'm like, that seemed <laughs> <Unnecessary>. like... <laughs> yeah, like, you need to tear it. it. Like, he's wearing... I don't know what... He's not wearing a short sleeve shirt. He's wearing a long sleeve shirt. But it's like, why do you need to do that? So I, he, uh, maybe Shatner has like something in his contract where like <laughs> his like shirt has to be ripped. He needs you know, to show like a little extra skin. every episode or something. Uh, yeah. I just want to really quickly <laughs> introduce what the conflict is. So everyone's getting drunk, and then the the one guy who um, was trying to 
subdue the dude who's trying to kill himself in the cantina. He ends up taking over the ship by going down to engineering, locking himself in, giving himself full control in engineering, and then he just like keeps singing songs over the intercom. Meanwhile, the Enterprise is slowly decaying into this orbit of this dying planet. So they have to get into engineering and they can't do it. So the middle part of the episode is them just trying to get inside of engineering and get control of the ship back. This is the first episode where we meet Scotty, which is pretty cool. This is the first episode that I felt like it didn't drag in the middle. And then the last thing I want to say is this is the like the big thing I really like about this episode is that every single person who was in the you know Bones, McCoy, Spock, Kirk, they all had a job to do and they had to do those jobs based on their talents. They just weren't chewing scenery in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the part where they have the, the meeting and Kirk is like, these meetings are for me to get the information like with your guys' talents and experience, but he's just kind of like, get your shit together, guys. Like, we need to figure this out. Yeah, I think that this was the first one. We don't quite have a full B-plot, but we get close to it, right? Because, like, the planet is decaying and they need to leave away from it. And at the same time, they have this weird virus thing making everybody act a fool. And that, I think those two together, like, obviously you solve one, you solve the other, but that, I think, helped it not lag in the middle, which yeah. is what we've been complaining about a lot. Yeah, there wasn't, I mean, there was a, like, an there was a B, C, D, E plot, like, where you're seeing how everybody dealt with being drunk or dealt with this disease. Like, mm-hmm. Spock becomes super emotional, and there's a long mm-hmm. scene of him, like, talking about just how he's been repressing his emotions, and, like, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough for him. And we see him just for 30 seconds just crying by himself in the in his room um so everybody gets like their own little scene about how they deal with this also i have to point out spock was crying while doing math which i also do (laughs) oh yeah what was with that he was doing like times tables to calm himself down the cold hard logic of math maybe helped him out yeah but it didn't it just brought on more tears so i can relate to that moment I felt like this was the first time we ever got, like, a real Spock moment. Like, he felt like he was just kind of in the background in previous episodes where he just kind of chimes in with some piece of logic and then continues on his way. Where we actually get some, like, characterization of him and how it might not be, like, super easy for him to, like, keep in control of, like, his emotions all the time and that sort of thing. Or maybe just, like, Vulcans can't deal with the existential horror of, of reality without their their logic. I was thinking that when the nurse started, like, the nurse gets drunk and starts hitting on him. And she's like, I love you, Spock. I love you even though you're a Vulcan. And this is what Vulcans are like. But you're only half Vulcan. Like, I felt like that was a little exposition of, like, what this alien is like. It's weird, yeah. He made she made it seem like Vulcans like beat their wives or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I forgot like, about Vulcans that. Tre- <laughs> Vulcans treat their women differently. But you wouldn't do that to me because you're half human, <laughs> and that means that you know about feelings, right? <laughs> <laughs> was was that number one, Corey? Was that what you were saying? Was that Captain Pike's number one? from the the first episode the cage oh that's a good question i i don't know it kind of looked like it though didn't it it did kind of look like her i forgot about that she had a lot of gray in her hair though i even for like she seemed too young to have that that coloration of hair oh i think i thought it was just like a really um cool blonde cool meaning not warm not like I'm digging it this this is hollywood Mm -hmm. in the 60s clint you're either 22 or 60 (laughs) Or... <laughs> yeah, have you learned nothing from our earlier episodes? Um. Oh, and two, I just want to mention how much I like the rattling sound for the disease. Like, that's the diseases. Oh, that's oh the maraca sound. I had in my notes uh, for the first time we hear it. I'm like, my arm is a rattlesnake. <laughs> yeah, any time they... Uh they like detect the, dis- the disease or they get a transmission of the disease. They like look at their hand and it makes this rattling sound. Yeah. I actually made a note of that, that I feel like, and I'm watching TNG episodes now separately. And so maybe it's just the contrast, but I feel like there's a lot more emphasis on sound in this T- TOS, all the little like phasers and scanners and all the computers are making so much noise. Like, I, they're going to be like, scan that and tell me what it says. And then they'll hold it and it'll be like, wah, 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 wah. and I, I think <laughs> maybe that that was just this idea that like, you have to have sound so that you know that something is occurring. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like it was just a way to cue in the audience. Mm-hmm. Like they they were worried that the audience wasn't going to get the idea that like this disease was going around yeah. unless they they throw in that rattlesnake sound. And then if you think about tech, like by the 90s, people are okay with the idea of like computers and scanners and they don't need to be making like beeps and boops all the time. Yeah, I felt like the uh, budget of this episode was higher um, because in the previous episodes, it's really been like we're either walking around the ship and people are talking or we're walking around on a planet and people are talking. Um, But like the, the opening scene for this episode, they go down to the science station and the entire thing is like frozen over, you know, they... Like, oh, yeah. like, it, mm-hmm. like it looked pretty good. Um, and yeah, there's, there's like the, the effect of them slowly descending into the planet. Um, so yeah, it just felt like more Star Trek-y, right? That we had an exotic location, we had planets, we had, uh, we didn't have any like fires or anything like that, but like it was, it was pretty cool. We're also starting to get more like just background extras, which is something that I didn't realize until you said that, that I'm used to there always being tons of background characters in Star Trek and there really haven't been so far. Yeah, no, this uh, this ship's really like coming alive, especially like in that cantina thing. We have some people uh, playing 3D chess. I'm sure someone is being beaten by a very intuitive strategy in the background. <laughs> Uh, I will say one thing that one little bit, it's not a big plot point, but it was something that I absolutely loved because it was a really short joke, but it was really funny and kind of racy and it was just such a zinger. But um, Sulu is like being a swashbuckler and he's like gets into the bridge and is like, oh, God, I, 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 like, you know, being a mischievous guy. And Ohura is like walking by and he like kind of grabs her and he's like, I'll save you fair maiden. And uh, she goes, sorry, neither. And then like darts away from him. <laughs> he, he is shirtless during all of this, by the way. Yeah, he's shirtless. I want to say it would have been great if Ohura was allowed just to punch him out. That would have <laughs> been great. That would have been a great 60s moment. Uh, but yeah, Sulu and that sword was pretty great. Him just swashbuckling his way around the ship. It was really funny. I felt like we haven't gotten Star Trek being silly and fun on purpose yet. And this one, I felt like they definitely were doing that. I also like how uh, chill Spock was like when it started. You know, he's just like, oh, man, this is so fascinating. I know we, we talked about the these episodes being presented in not the order they were filmed. Because I mm-hmm. think, I don't remember what the first one filmed actually was. But we get Scotty in this one and it's the first time that we've seen him no i think we see him in the the previous one where no man has gone before i'm pretty sure he's in that yeah like like an extra almost Mm -hmm. yeah you could like you could blink and miss uh in this in this episode he has like a significant role to play because he has to break into engineering and get control of that section back again um but i kind Mm -hmm. of like that there was no like scotty you're the best damn engineer that we have and you're the only one that can do this like that just kind of became obvious through the conversations there was no like exposition about how fantastic scotty is he's like you know yeah we'll we'll be we'll get out of here in half a second if you i'm not going to try the accent but we'll get out of here in half a second if you ask me to do it like i know how to run this ship and like just right off the bat he just started running as like a great engineer Except for the fact that it takes him 15 mm-hmm. minutes to cut out something the size of, uh, the, 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 in the shape of Texas. <laughs> With a phaser. Because they couldn't break, this was like something that I thought was kind of silly, but like they couldn't get through the door. So they had to cut through the the wall to get into engineering to stop this guy who's taking over the ship. They couldn't get through the door. Like, I don't, I don't know what's. See, this is what I've been talking about, Corey. I've been saying for a while that you need to have keys on the Enterprise. You need to have keys to be able to, like, lock, you know, the engine room or, or unlock it. It should have been as simple as just, you know, one of the Frying custodians. The open. Yeah, just one of the custodians has the keys. It's like, what he locked himself in. It's like, Schmitty's going to be here in five minutes. Oh, my God. And Schmitty, Schmitty just has, like, a pea coat and, like, a hunch. And like a peg leg. And just like, a giant key ring. A gigantic key ring. And he's like, oh, section 72B. And he just pulls out this gigantic just tackle box of keys. 
I mean, again, I think this is this like Star Trek not understanding how technology would evolve because to us it's like, yeah, even if you have like electronic everything, you still need keys. You have to be able to get in everywhere manually. And I think that they're like, look, in the future, we're going to be so advanced, people are going to forget about things like keys. It's dystopian. Well, and two, they like talk about how secure they are. And then people are always just like busting open Jeffrey's tubes. You know, they're just on the little panel going boop, 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 boop. And then they like can unlock any door that they want. They need keys. They need to lock down the ship. And then someone with keys can go in and then take care of the intruder or or whatever. But... <laughs> It's just, it's just crazy. They don't I'm ever not. block out or tag out any any machines that they're working on. I mean, things are always exploding. Yeah, the lockout tag outs is a safety issue. Starfleet is an OSHA nightmare, let me tell you. Well, but in TNG, they have, like, force fields, and they're like, lock down this wing or whatever. They do that all the time in TNG. And it's always breaking down. Like, it never works. <laughs> it never works. I liked when the guy, though, who had control of the ship, like the announcement, he was like, double portions of ice cream for anyone. And then he goes, I'm declaring at 1900 hours, we're going to have a dance in the bowling alley. And right <laughs> after that, Spock says like, no way. And I thought he was going to be like, we can't have a dance in the bowling alley. It can't hold that many people. It's not to fire code regulations. <laughs> I, I did love that. That's what he decides to do when he takes over the ship is have a, a formal dance in the bowling alley. <laughs> Do you think they actually have a bowling alley? I don't think so. I was wondering that too. I was like, what, they have a bowling alley? But I think not because the Enterprise at this point is still just like, it's like a submarine, like active Mm -hmm. duty submarine. It's not quite like full of families yet. Look, guys, they have to do something besides play 3D chess, okay? I refuse to (laughs) believe that's their only recreational activity. Well, yeah, they, they play 3D chess. They freestyle sing. Yeah, they freestyle sing, and then um, they take their shirt off and they wrestle around with each other. Oh, that's you right. You know, Roman Roman Greco rise. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Okay, I have to ask you guys something. Have you all seen the movie, the Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams one with the, where it's like Young Kirk or something? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. I feel like the there's an almost exact same plot point as in this episode. Where they're like trying to like reboot the engines, like the engines are cold, and Scotty's like, "They'll be ready in half an hour," and they're like, "Well, the planet's gonna blow up in eight minutes, so you've got to do this weird thing." And and Scotty says something like, "Well, we could do this," and he's like, "Do it." And he's like, "That's only a theory," and they're like, "You got to make it happen anyway." Like I feel like that exact same thing happens in that movie. Oh, you're probably right. This is kind of like a famous moment in Star Trek history where like Scotty does the cold start because he talks about it in a TNG episode, too, that he's on where he's like, oh, the captain, we didn't have enough time. So the captain wanted me to cold start it and I got it done, blah, blah, blah. So, oh, yeah, he the sword moment and then him cold starting the engines are both like very famous Star Trek. But I, I do think it becomes a little bit of a, you know, he's dead, Jim, where Scotty's like, I... I can do it in 45. And then he's like, I need it in 10. You know, like, I think that that becomes a thing later on. Oh, yeah. yeah. In, in fact, in that TNG episode, he tells Jordy LaForge, like, always overpromise or always like overestimate your time. That way you look like a hero at the end. <laughs> yeah, always pad out your time. Uh, captains are like children. They want everything and they want it now. And it's your job to give it to them, but only how you want to or something like that. Oh, I can't wait till that episode. Okay, that's cool. I'm glad that I've recognized a uh, seminal Star Trek moment. Mm-hmm. Can we can we please talk about the best part of this episode now? Wait, is it the one where Kirk is just abusing Spock? Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. He, he pulls a share, snap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me set it up first. Let me set it up first. So Kirk is starting to come under this this uh, sickness and he's starting to get kind of drunk and his thing is he's all worried about his ship. Spock has already been inflicted with it and he gets super emotional. He's sitting there crying in his room and um, Kirk walks in and he's like, we have to cold start the ship right now. We need this formula. And Spock's just not listening. He's talking about his emotions. And so Kirk just grabs him and slaps him and Spock keeps talking and then he just keeps slapping him over and over. But go ahead. 
Yeah, you're right. No, and he just keeps slapping him. And it's just like, is this warranted? Like, you don't need to slap the guy to like, it's not gonna, it's not helping anything, Kurt. You're just slapping him because you want to slap him around. Well, it's like he does one like share slap to like slap him and see if it'll snap him out of it. But it doesn't work. And he just keeps slapping him back and forth. I'm glad Spock slapped him back because I think he deserved it for sure. It's really hilarious. Like they have a little slap fight. Is it established that Vulcans are like way stronger than humans yet? Or do you guys remember them saying that? Well, Spock slaps him back and he flies onto the table. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh the other thing that I wrote about Kirk getting drunk is that he um, he's like Drake. He, You may be a very attractive yeoman, but Kirk only loves his mama and his ship. <laughs> goes, when he gets drunk, he gets on this little, like, he gets teary-eyed about, like, my yeoman's so hot, but I can't do anything because I love my ship so much. <laughs> he's like, this ship is like a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and then he starts, like, stroking it seductively. He's like, I need some time alone. Leave us. <laughs> Clear the bridge. Uh, I can't believe I didn't think about this earlier when we were talking about seminal Star Trek moments, but I think in the very first episode of our podcast, I said that I'm mostly familiar with Star Trek and particularly the OS from internet GIFs. And I do pronounce mm-hmm. it GIFs, not GIFs, because I'm not a heathen. Um, yeah, because GIF is the real way you say it. You know that the creator says that he pronounces it GIFs, right? Who cares? Anyway, let's Good. move on. Thank That's you. the right way to say it. Yeah. It is. That is correct. That is canon for this podcast. Thank you for supporting me. Anyway, when Spock first gets infected, he's like, I'm in control of my emotions. And he's like crying. And there's like this scene that is a famous GIF that gets, you know, put up all the time is... Spock like with his back against the door and he's like I'm in control of my emotions and he just dissolves into tears and so I was like yeah I saw it (laughs) hey I know that from the moving internet picture right I have felt that and like someone has posted that and I've said me several times (laughs) so I, I am like intentionally not reading any reviews about any of these episodes and I'm not looking at like top 10 lists like the only episode I know that's famous is like the city on the edge of tomorrow um but like I am intentionally not not looking any of this stuff up. I I would if I looked this one up, I bet it would be like a famous episode, right? Because it has you know it it's meme worthy. It has it has the Sulu mm-hmm. scene. It has like the you know the Scotty scene. Like it, it seems like it's a pretty famous episode. Well, and I think too, it really sets off the precedent of the crew being affected by something, right? Like this is a classic Star Trek trope, if not like sci-fi trope. It's like oh no, the crew is affected by something and, you know, we have to figure it out before we all explode or something like that. I mean, it happens in TNG in like the second episode, right? Where like a star gets them drunk. And, you know, I know it happens in Enterprise. It it happens in a lot of sci-fi. I think the other thing that I felt like was very Star Trek was... The way the episode ended. Are we ready to go there? Oh my god. Yeah. That was so weird. I thought it was going to be like a two-parter or something. I know. Me too. Go ahead ahead and set it up, Emily. So, Scotty cold starts the engine and they're able to zip out, you know, and not get blown up when the planet blows up. And as they're zipping out, someone says, I think Sulu says, some some meter is going backwards. The chronometer. Chronometer. Thank you. I was going to say odometer and I'm like, that's definitely (laughs) wrong. Um, the chronometer is going backwards and they're all like, what does this mean? And they're just sort of freaked out. And then it stops and Spock's like, we just went three days into the past. Like we could go warn ourselves. So just Rook, was that because like the way they cold started it was like, they just made the ship go so fast because you're not supposed to start the ship like that. Yeah. So like they started like the engines imploded, which is usually sounds like it would be a bad thing, but it was a good thing in this case. Sure. And it made them go faster than anyone's ever gone fast before. But by the way, just really quick, do you know what the warp limit is at this time? Is it like five, six? I mean, if you go by Enterprise, because in Enterprise, it was warp five, which was the fastest. So I I don't know. It might have been like six or seven, but I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. So then he says oh, we could, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to keep going forward. Um, 
So we're not going to go back and warn ourselves about this. Uh, but I feel like time travel is a very big part of the Star Trek universe. Yeah, they just like in the last four minutes of the episode, they're like, holy shit, we had nothing to do with the plot. We we just discovered time travel. We're, we've gone back three days. Uh, let's go on our next mission. And I was thinking at that point, what do they tell Starfleet when Starfleet's like, hey, are you guys going to go pick those scientists up? Why are you going in the total opposite direction? Like, oh, we already did. Like, what? Oh, they're dead. Sorry. Forgot to tell you. Well, they, they will be dead. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, but that's like exactly how Star Trek treats time travel. Like so many uh, time travel sci-fi things like bring in this idea of like paradoxes and whoopsies and unintended consequences. And Star Trek is just like, nah, it's just a silly little romp. It was so weird. I thought it was so weird because it's like, oh, what? Like time's going backwards. Did you also notice the chronometers? Like they had a red light when it was going backwards and then it went back. They went back into the normal time flow. It's, it's like it wasn't designed to do this. Yeah, something's wrong. <laughs> we only put these red lights here as a joke, but now they're they're working. Uh oh. <laughs> I always like the scene in Futurama where they go back to Roswell and their digital clock turns into a 50s pinup calendar. <laughs> that was, I mean, that's just the best episode of Futurama ever. Um, but yeah, it was so weird that like Spock is like, whoa, this is incredible. We just invented time travel or discovered time travel. And Kirk's like, yeah, well, fuck it. Like, <laughs> maybe if we yeah. want to time travel later, we'll do it. But I'm not interested. Yeah, Kirk is very nonchalant about time travel because um, that, that would be like like that would be the pilot of a star trek series like a voyager-esque mm -hmm. thing where they get launched back to like the 20th century and they have a starship right and they're like this is star trek uh international space station you know like and they just go do adventures yeah that's true but yeah it was so weird they're just like okay well let's just pretend that didn't happen they're very cavalier about time travel in the early TOS. I know there's this one episode and I don't know, I can't remember, but it just starts out like, oh, we're back in the 60s uh, for like historical research. And I'm like, what? You got like, it just, it's just very casual. It's like, oh yeah, we can time travel. And it was a weird episode to like cross over with like another television show that was going at the time that i didn't recognize at all but it was just so crazy where they're like oh yeah just time travel hmm. yeah the, i feel like they they do that throughout but that seems particularly cavalier even for star trek mm -hmm. um and i guess the idea is that the future is so great you don't want to time travel <laughs> we just gotta keep moving forward <laughs> <laughs> Kirk is just like I live. I don't need time travel. I live my life without regret. I have my fucking hot ship. <laughs> Clear the bridge. <laughs> just got my hot ship and my cute yeoman. Um, I think this is like too like a little bit of a a plot a subplot that they have is the relationship between Kirk and uh, Yeoman Rand. Mm. And I know I, I've said I might have said this before, but after the first season, she is like let go from the show because they wanted I think they said the official reason was they wanted Kirk to uh, be more like emotionally available for random chicks. Like he can't have like playing the field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be the Riker. Yeah. Be yeah. The Riker. He needed he needed his social calendar empty so he could hook up with hot alien chicks. So um, that was part of the reason that Yeoman, Yeoman Janice got, got the boot. Mm, I like Yeoman Janice. I like her too. But that sweet, that sweet beehive, that trademark that beehive. Sweet braided beehive. Well, She's okay. I don't know. <laughs> Corey doesn't like her. She's okay. <laughs> I just wish she had a real job. But we we all, was, we already talked about this. <laughs> I know. I was when she was like, "I need to get um like to the bridge." I was thinking to myself, like, "Someone needs their spinach wrap." Oh, <laughs> Is this the first time that we've had the captain's log voiceovers? At the beginning of the episode, like, kind of as Throughout? part of the intro. Oh, I, don't, I don't think so. I think. 
No, we've had I think them before. We've had them through, like we've had them at the beginning, but this one, it's like I think this is the is this the first one where they're throughout. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, I know he does do those little, like, when people come back. Like, he does the yeah. little, like, Captain's Log thing. That's true. It was, those are kind of weird, though, because I feel like sometimes they, like, intrude on the dramatic irony. Um, whereas uh, yes. it, they're like, oh, we have a virus or, like, a disease on board. I'm like, I didn't know that you guys knew you had a disease. I think that, like, well, I had that question, too. Yeah. There's... Sorry, go ahead. There's actually one that I wrote down where it's it's like coming back from a commercial break and it says, unknown to us, a new disease is running around the ship. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? How can you be saying this is happening if it's unknown to you? I mean, that's got to be for the people that tuned in right at that commercial break, right? To catch oh, yeah. up. Mm-hmm. But narratively. Well, I, think it, I think like in, in universe, it's something that um, like it's his record afterward. Right. So or he's, maybe he's writing a very dramatic one. Or yeah. like Picard is just going in real time. Or or um maybe what happens is this is what like this is what we are actually seeing is like the visual record of what happened, right? So maybe what we're actually seeing is the ship's log and that all these things, since it's the future, it's all oh, he's just narrating over the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they they just have, like, you know, this, like, high production value. And then, you know, like, after every adventure, there's, like, a little editing bay. And Kirk is just, like, looking at all this footage and, like, getting it all together. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, this will really make the, the story move along. And then he adds a little, well, like, narrative. And Wait, are you thing. saying it's, like, Pawn Stars maybe. where it, like, this cuts is... to him? Like, yeah, that was a crazy <laughs> deal when that guy walked in. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like, yeah, the confessional. So it's like he he edited this whole thing together, right? And then he adds his voiceover. And then at this point, he's like, well, I got to explain this to the audience that that we had a disease, but we didn't know. Well, this is also then a, a very dark reason for why nobody locks their ships is because they're under surveillance constantly <laughs> and they know it. And they're just like, well... Guess I have to behave because otherwise Kirk will put me in his supercut episode. Clint, I would agree with what you're saying, except like in TNG, Jean-Luc will be like, Captain's log, supplemental. We're currently under attack by this ship. Like, is he saying that on the bridge or does he run yeah, into his well, ready I, room really fast to do that? Yeah, I think that's what he does is he just like goes to his ready room and then records these logs. <laughs> I think the protocol changes between TOS and Next Generation of how it, because they're a lot more bureaucratic. So instead of making your logs after the fact, you have to make your logs right when it's happening. So he just runs to his study and and says something. I think we should do a whole episode on when and when they don't do their captain's log. This is some great (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a podcast, too. He has a little, like, he has his headphones on and his mic and (laughs) and that sort of thing. They gotta make their audacity sync up. <laughs> uh, Everyone on the bridge is just like, oh fuck, what? You just wait for him to come back, or well, how long is he gonna be? The other way would be crazy, right? If, uh, if Kirk was on the bridge and he's like, little do we know, we have a virus ravaging our ship, and then like one of the <laughs> comm officers is like, wait, what, there's a virus, right? Or or like Picard is just like, Captain's log. Riker's being a real dick today. And Riker's like, I'm sitting right here. I know I've talked a lot about Futurama in this episode, but that's what makes Zap so great because he does that. He just does the captain's log right there. <laughs> I does. love it. It's so good. Yeah. Mm. My favorite part is just Zap Rannigan. He wears the dress, the like. The dress. It's really short. Yeah. Yeah. Do you notice there's an episode in TNG where there's a male officer wearing the dress uniform as well? No. And I think. I think they just wanted to like normalize it. Not oh, not only women wear this, but men can wear this thing that ends three inches above their knees or whatever. I have not noticed that. Now I'm. I really hope I haven't passed that episode yet. I really want to. See it's that. like the first episode or like the second episode. So you got you got to be sharp. I must say I'm really loving the gratuitous male nudity. Like it's just absolutely unnecessary every time there's a shirtless dude and i'm like this must be what it's like to be a straight man watching tv where there's just boobs all the time. <laughs> i love it i love it sulu he's definitely been working on that that fencer's body for sure i mean i wouldn't kick him out of bed he would kick me out of bed because george takai is famously gay but i was like damn sulu 
We never see Riker shirtless, do we? There's that one episode where he goes. Hold to on, that... I'm gonna Google this. Hold on. I I feel like I've seen like a deep cut, a deep V pajamas. Mm-hmm. They have, oh they my have God. very sexy pajamas in TV. Well, there's that one episode where they go to the planet where like it's ruled by women. Yeah, that's the one I'm gonna currently put into our Discord. Yeah, and he's wearing. They make men wear these like sexy little I, they're like shirts but they ha- have a deep v in them i mean you could see you could see it all you could see it all there's i can't remember what episode it is but there's one there's it might be the the robin hood one with q actually where um picard keeps getting interrupted in his like pajamas but his pajamas are like short shorts and then like this like silky top that has this like V down to his belly button. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> okay, I found Riker shirtless and Picard shirtless so far. <laughs> when Clint, if you start an Instagram for this podcast, clearly you need to have these pictures up. Just have a collection of all the times the male characters are shirtless. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> shirtless Sundays. <laughs> and then like uh just like Kirk ripped shirt, you know. Mm-hmm. You could do a different one. Yeah. I mean, we've already got the Kirk wrestling and Sulu fencing, so we've got a lot to draw from. Data, already. there are no shirtless datas. <laughs> I spend any time Data encounters a new person, they're like, "You're the android," and I'm like, "Why does everybody want to fuck Data?" <laughs> Yar's the only one who got to. I think everyone has fucked Data. I think that that's just canon in my mind, is that everybody's like, what would it be like if you could program someone to sex the way you no want, way. and then they all fuck Data? They wouldn't do Data. they just go to the, um, they go to the Hollow Suites. The Hollow Suites? No, I think they totally, they, I think they've all had sex okay. with Data. Okay. There's that episode, too, where he gets a girlfriend and he's like, I have made programs for you. And I'm like, he's talking about. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. I I don't think they ever fuck, though. Oh, do you guys do you guys remember Clint? You watched Enterprise. Do you remember the scene where Jolene Blaylock uh, to Paul and Trip like take their shirts off together and start like (laughs) doing massaging on each other. Do you remember that? Yeah. Is that, it's like the Vulcan neuro pressure or something. Yeah, man. It's crazy. Uh Like it's insane. They are like, you can basic it's, it's insane. If you haven't seen that episode, (laughs) they have some, they have some crazy, crazy fan service. Cause I know the one where like all the decontamination scenes are pretty sex, sexual. There's one where it's like DePaul um hoshi who's the comms officer and i forget it's like jonathan archer or whatever but they're all in their underwear and they're like rubbing each other with some sort of substance (laughs) to like decontaminate them but i'm just like oh man it's i i you can do nothing clint to ever dissuade me that everyone on enterprise has fucked data (laughs) all right i'll let i'll let you have that one emily (laughs) (laughs) you got it kid Anyway, I, I put all the shirtless pictures up in our Discord if you guys want to look at them. All right, so I guess this episode is called the one where they talk about shirtless characters. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, sorry, I distracted sorry, Clint with these pictures. Uh, there's a lot of them. Um, yeah, I know. I can't he, even think he's anymore. useless to us now. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess until we see you guys next time, keep on trekking.